Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. It's Monday, and we are posting an instant classic for your inspiration. This message may come from anywhere around the globe, but is sure to stay with you for years to come. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 2. Post-World War II, the inner cities of America began to deteriorate as uh, young people and young families started moving out of the uh, inner cities. And this is uh, during the 50s and 60s when the suburbs began to uh, explode in cities like uh, Detroit, St. Louis, Providence, uh, Rhode Island, Boston, New York, etc. Their inner cities uh, began to deteriorate. But this began to turn around in the 90s, late 80s, uh, uh, 90s, all the way... Uh, up until today, and so uh, they began to try to uh, uh, determine why this uh, uh, happened, why this uh, turnaround began to take place. And there was a study that was commissioned called The Young and the Restless, and uh, it was stated in this study that one of the burning questions about the future of the American cities is who will lead the revitalization of urban neighborhoods. And in a recent study called The Young and the Restless, we think we've uncovered a big part of the answer. Today's young adults is the answer. In the past decade alone, there has been a shift. Young people are now moving out of the suburbs and into the inner cities. And uh, this has brought a dramatic change. Uh, They're buying property. uh, They're uh, bringing their professionalism, their vision. uh, And much of the dramatic change uh, in the development of inner cities uh, is the consequence of the vision uh, of these uh, young men and women that have moved back into these inner cities. Young people today are adrift. There's no doubt about that. Not in every case, certainly, but far more than in the past. It used to be the case that by the time a young man was 18 or so years old, he already had a career path. But now a young man can be 25, even 30 or 35 and have no career path. Life is simply made up as we go along. Many of the young men that I went to high school with are doing today what they decided they were going to do back then. And I think there are a lot of reasons why young men are adrift today. One of the reasons is fatherlessness. One of the primary culprits is young men aren't being raised by a father who can instill vision and work ethic and emotional maturity. Another reason is an absence of challenges. Parents who set themselves uh, to make it as easy as possible. Every time a hardship comes uh, along, uh, rather than let their teenagers or their young adults work through it, uh, they're there with a safety net to bail them out, uh, and they never learn. They never develop uh, 
uh, some of the skills that are necessary in life that are going to see them through uh, the hard times. Uh, another reason is the culture uh, of media and entertainment. Uh, for far too long, uh, uh, young people uh, uh, remain plugged in. Media and entertainment uh, has become a priority of life. Uh, and uh, they, they never go further uh, than, uh, what am I going to do uh, uh, for the next little uh, piece of entertainment uh, uh, in my life? Rebellion against authority uh, would be another uh, reason why young men are adrift today. My point this morning, uh, it's not going to be dealing with all the culprits. Uh, I want to simply uh, issue a challenge uh, to young men today uh, to get stirred up uh, for God. I want to stir up pastors today uh, to see potential uh, in some of those young men in your church uh, that may irritate you, annoy you, uh, that you may have already uh, dismissed. Uh, it is in the hearts of these young men uh, that the future of our fellowship rests, uh, and we have to be instruments uh, that will help uh, to stir them for God uh, so that uh, their potential uh, can be realized. I want to read from a great text, First uh, Samuel chapter two, because we have the contrast uh, between the sons of Eli uh, and the young man Samuel, and this provides a uh, very powerful contrast uh, for a sermon uh, that I've entitled "The Young and the Restless: God's Challenge to Young Men." Let's begin in verse twelve uh, and read through a few verses here in First Samuel chapter two. Now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand. And while the meat was boiling, then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. And the priest would take for himself all that the flesh hook brought up. So they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Also before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who sacrificed, Give meat for roasting to the priest, for he will not take boiled meat from you, but raw. And if a man said to him, They should really burn the fat first, then you may take as much as your heart desires. He would then answer him, No, but you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. Therefore, the sin of the young man was very great before the Lord, for the men abhorred the offering of the Lord. But Samuel ministered before the Lord, even as a child, wearing a linen ephod. Moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe and bring it to him year by year when she came up, uh, uh, when she came up uh, with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. And Eli would bless uh, Elkan and his wife and say, The Lord give, your de- uh, give you descendants uh, from this woman for the loan that was given to the Lord. Uh, then they would go to their own home. And the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. Uh, meanwhile, the child Samuel grew uh, before the Lord. I want to first of all look at the young and the restless. Uh, and I want to look with you first of all at a few facts. Half of all people in the world... Uh, one half, 3.15 billion people in the world are under 25 years old. There are 1 billion people between the ages of 15 and 24. And in America alone, 32.7 million men between the ages of 18 and 34. Young men have always been one of the great key resources that God has tapped and that God has used. They are the hope 
of our future. Our fellowship will not last another generation until the 18-somethings and the 20-somethings get on fire and get serious and get stirred up for God and become even now the future leaders of our fellowship. When young men are challenged, when young men become willing to sacrifice, when they become willing to venture and to risk, they can become an unstoppable force for God in the earth. And it is for these reasons that young men are capable of incredible exploits for God. And as I said, they have always been a great resource of revival that God has used. In the book of Joel, and again quoted that same verse in the book of Acts, the Bible says, young men shall see visions. There ought to be young men here this morning uh, that are stirred for God, uh, that have a vision uh, as our brethren have so wonderfully ministered all week long uh, for what God has uh, for your life. How many 18-year-olds, 20-year-olds, 22-year-olds, 28-year-olds are fixated uh, on a godly vision uh, and are bent uh, on seeing that uh, accomplished uh, and fulfilled in your life. Uh, This has always been a great resource. In the book of Jeremiah, when God begins to speak uh, to this young man, Jeremiah, who is probably about 15 years old at the time, uh, God speaks and says, Before I formed you in the womb, uh, I knew you. Uh, Before you were born, I sanctified uh, and I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Uh, And then I said, uh, O Lord, I cannot uh, speak, uh, for I am a youth. Jeremiah's contemporary, Jeremiah the prophet, uh, his contemporary, the king, was Josiah. In 2 Kings 22, Josiah was eight. Now, I'm not recommending uh, that we make an eight-year-old a king, but the text says that Jeremiah was uh, eight years old when he became king, uh, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. uh, And now it came to pass uh, in the 18th year of King uh, Josiah, and you know the text, uh, how that God began to visit this young man of 24 years old uh, and began to stir his heart, uh, and he led uh, a very formidable uh, and a very powerful spiritual uh, revolution. Uh, As a matter of fact, the Bible says... uh, that during the uh, reign of Josiah, when they celebrated the Passover, uh, it had not been celebrated like that ever before uh, in the history uh, of the nation of Israel. Uh, The Bible says in the book of Titus chapter 2, Likewise, uh, Titus, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, uh, in doctrine showing integrity, uh, reverence, uh, and incorruptibility. And again in 1 John, I write to you, young men, uh, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the Word of God abides in you. It's very clear from the Word of God that there's a very powerful and formidable emphasis on God being able to stir up young men that will begin to be driven by a vision for what God has for your life. Let's look at this contrast that we have in our text. Now, the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord, therefore the sin of the young man was very great before the Lord, for the men abhorred the offering of the Lord. These are young men who are familiar with the things of God, but they are unmoved by them. 
And I wonder if there may even be that element here at this great Bible conference. We would like to assume that everyone here is lit up for God. But there may, may very well be young people here. You've been raised in a Christian atmosphere, perhaps by Christian parents. You are familiar with the things of God, but you are not yet deeply moved by them. These young men, the sons of Eli, handled the offering. They handled the sacrifice. They put their hands upon sacred things, but those things were never sacred, nor were they ever holy to them. They had all the privileges of being the sons of a high priest, all the benefits, all the provision. But as you read in our text, they exploited it for their own selfish advantage and for their own selfish gain. And this happens when you do not have your own relationship with God. They're simply born into an atmosphere. They, they, they have some familiarity with the things of God. And there are some benefits to that. And they simply ride on the coattails of what they have been born into. They handle sacred and holy things. But those things have never become sacred and have never become holy to them. They have no respect for the man of God who happened to be their father. They grew up in the house of God and never developed for themselves a hunger and an appetite for the things of God themselves. The Bible says they abhorred the offering. That word means to scorn or to profane. To take something holy and treat it as common. And how often does this happen with young people that are raised in church? The sacred and the holy is all around them. The preaching of God's Word. The opportunity to give. The involvement, the investment and outreach and evangelism. The church is God's institution on earth. And it is holy and it is sacred. And sometimes when you're born, when you're born into it, you take all of that for granted and you never develop an appreciation, but you will take advantage of the benefits that come along with it. Part of their problem was obviously their profane father. But this is not an excuse because Samuel, we'll get to him in a minute, Samuel grew up in the same house as these two evil sons of Eli they were his contemporaries. Samuel was unaffected by their sin and their corruption and the profanity of Eli. He lived for God. He had a heart for ministry and holiness and became a great prophet. When your heart is right, you can survive bad influences in your upbringing. When your heart is not right, you can profane and you can squander a good upbringing. You have to have your own relationship with God. You have to be converted. Just because you're a church kid, your father, your mother are in the ministry, or they were saved in revival, or they're members of a church, does not ensure the spiritual destiny of your own life. You have to contend for God's will in your own heart. These young men were indifferent. They grew up in the house of God, but they never developed for themselves an appetite for the things of God. They never came to a revelation and an awareness of the sacred holy things of which they were called to handle. 
And I think that all of that underscores a problem in the church today. Pastor Richard Ruby had a uh, conference, I think it was in 2007, and the theme was a great theme, uh, Awaking the Sleeping Giant. And I think one of the sleeping giants in the church today is a young man whose potential has not yet been tapped. And it needs to be awakened. One of the unique features of our fellowship is not just the reaching and the winning of men. Thank God for that. We should never lose uh, our appreciation for that. Whenever there's a crowd this size uh, uh, in the charismatic uh, world, you're going to see about 80 to 90 percent of women. There was a book written recently. It's an excellent book uh, called Why Men Hate Church. Uh, and it has to do with how the church uh, has been effeminized today. And there's nothing challenging for them. Uh, but in our fellowship, you look across uh, uh, the crowd today, it is filled with men. It is filled with young men. This is one of the great features of our church and our ministry that we should never take for granted. And we need to have an appreciation about why that is so. Our fellowship is born in and driven by the call of God in young men's hearts. And we don't diminish anyone here. Women need to live for God. We appreciate women that will stand for God, uh, single mothers that will bring their children to church uh, and contend for faith. Uh, but the fact is uh, that the call of God in young men's hearts uh, is what has driven our fellowship uh, for a generation. And if our fellowship is going to have a future uh, into the next generation, uh, it is going to have to be uh, uh, the same thing happening. Uh, young men uh, that are set on fire for God, uh, that have a vision uh, and a burden for God's will uh, and God's purpose in their life. And so the question is, uh, what is uh, today's crop uh, of young men doing? Is what God doing in your life, is what God is doing in your life right now sufficient to, to carry the burden of revival uh, into the next generation? If everybody here, uh, 40 and older, uh, would suddenly go be with the Lord, uh, what would the state of our fellowship be? Uh, do we have young men uh, that could pick up uh, and serve God that have already set the wheels in motion uh, for their destiny, uh, are hearing from God, are sacrificing, uh, are paying a price? Uh, and are making an investment in the purposes and in the will of God for their life. Let's be a little specific about what we're talking about today. Young men who are converts 30 years and under, gotten saved in the last five years or so. We're talking about young men who have been raised in church born of parents uh, who got saved in revival uh, and have been raised in church uh, and speaking to these uh two groups of young men. Uh, there are a number of things that are disturbing. One is uh, church kids uh, that are not becoming disciples. This is a disturbing uh, trend uh, in the fellowship. Uh, your parents uh, were saved in revival. Uh, they paid a price uh, to make a stand for God. They sacrificed. Uh, you have stepped into that. Uh, and in your life, it is all too casual. Uh, you are far too indifferent. Uh, you can be surrounded by sacred things 
grace, but unmoved by them and never end up contending for the will of God with everything that you have and everything that you are. And I'm not talking about church kids who backslide and become immoral or get on dope. I'm talking about young people that they stay in church. They're not bad kids per se, but they never really become disciples lit up for God. Converts today who never gain traction. And sometimes it's for some of the reason that Reasons that I mentioned, fatherlessness uh, is such a dominant feature of culture today. It wasn't so in the 70s. The rebellion, we were rebellious uh, in the 70s, certainly, uh, but today uh, it seems to be far more of a cultural uh, trend and dynamic. And there's so many young men, and I notice this in my church, they get saved and have a conversion, but they never gain traction. They remain carnal, and, and their lifestyle, uh, and in the uh, habits and practices of their life, it seems like many of the young men getting saved today, it takes much longer for them to gain traction in their relationship with God and in the will of God. And another disturbing feature of this is young couples. We have so many young couples in our church in El Paso who have a powerful potential for leadership, to be Bible study leaders. They have a powerful potential uh, that if they'll invest their youth uh, in pursuing the will of God, and they're great couples, they're having children, uh, they look tremendous, uh, uh, they have business and career, uh, but they are not contending uh, for the will of God, for spiritual leadership, uh, and pursuing the call of God in their lives. And so I want to talk to you secondly about the challenge for young men. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe, because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. And I think one of the things that God must do and will do and has to do, and maybe that'll start here today, is somewhere along the line, young man, God has to get your attention. If you are going to have anything worthwhile in your life, it is going to have to come on the heels of you personally 
beginning to pay a price for that. We have so many welfare children, and I don't mean that in the institutional sense of the word, but young people today who are looking for a parental handout. Uh, they want the way made easy. Uh, they're in their late 20s, and this is just a pet peeve of mine, and I probably mentioned it too much, uh, uh, but one more time won't hurt. Uh, 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 young men still living at home, 28, 30 years old. Uh, mama's still doing the laundry. Uh, mama's still paying off their traffic fines. Uh, they can go for months on end uh, unemployed, uh, and it doesn't make any difference because mama will take care of everything. At some point, you're going to have to begin to pay a price. Samuel's mother served God, paid a price, uh, did so with, ye, uh, with zeal, uh, bore reproach, uh, wept before God. Uh, she had a serious uh, relationship uh, with God herself. Uh, but somewhere along the line, Samuel uh, had to uh, begin to make his own contribution. Uh, God had to get a hold of Samuel's life. Uh, Samuel's future uh, was not totally dependent uh, on his mother's relationship with God. Uh, and what his mother did, uh, at some point, uh, God had to get his attention, uh, and Samuel had to respond uh, in his own right. You cannot borrow off the sacrifice of others forever. You can benefit from it. My children uh, have certainly benefited from uh, the sacrifice of Renee and I over the years, uh, but at some point uh, they have got to get a hold of God for themselves. You cannot expect others to do for you what you need to begin to do for yourself. The Bible says in our text in verse 17, but Samuel ministered before the Lord. And then again it says, meanwhile, the child Samuel grew before the Lord. He is a child. But the Scripture here tells us that at this early age, God gets his attention. And he has all of these bad examples around him. He's got the sons of Eli. He's got Eli. He is raised in a profane house. Don't tell me that God can't move in your situation. You may have a crummy household. You may have had a rough upbringing. But at some point, you've got to stop making excuses. And you've got to begin to allow God to get a hold of your life. And you've got to begin to respond to that and put all of that behind you. Think, this child, Samuel, is a child. Now think of how vulnerable uh, children are to peer pressure, to influence. Uh, think of uh, uh, the mockery that surely would have come uh, from Eli's sons, these profane young men, uh, as, uh, as uh, Samuel is there trying to be righteous, uh, trying to buck the tide uh, of the trend of this wicked household. Uh, and yet he does it as a child. Samuel ministered before the Lord. Uh, meanwhile, the child Samuel grew uh, up uh, before the Lord, he is motivated, he is stirred, he is prioritizing his life, he is lit up for God, as I've said. He understood, I cannot live off the sacrifice of my mother forever. Surely he benefited from that. But at this very early age, Samuel comes to the recognition and the realization and the revelation. I've got to have my own relationship with God. I've got to begin to be obedient to the Lord and serve Him in my own right. And so in this text, there's a powerful challenge 
for a young man. The first here is that Samuel had a heart that God could touch. In verse 3 of chapter 3, a little further from where I stopped reading, the Bible says, And while Samuel was lying down, the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here am I. And so he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And he said, I did not call you. Lie down again. And he went and lay down. What a fascinating story. God begins to speak to Samuel. But he doesn't know the voice of God. He doesn't know how to recognize his relationship with God has not developed to that level. He wants to do right. He has conviction. He has a conscience. He wants to be righteous. But he does not yet have this personal interaction with God where God speaks to him and he speaks to God. And so God begins to initiate this. And then you know, of course, that that happened three times when God speaks and Samuel goes running and saying, Eli, what do you want? And the Bible says, Then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go and lie down, and it shall be if he calls you that you must say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Now the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, Speak, for your servant hears. And then the Lord said to Samuel, Let me ask you young men here today, Is God speaking to your heart? Is God's voice a dominant feature of your life? It became the dominant feature of Samuel's life when he was still a boy. God helped this young boy develop a sensitivity to the voice of God. Do you even know the voice of God? The will of God cannot be advanced in your life unless He is talking to you and you are responding. It's easy to get into the routine of attending church. You get the ropes down as they say. You know how to function. You know how to carry yourself. You know how to operate. You know how to raise your hands. You know how to worship. You know how to go through all of those things. But my question is, is God speaking to your heart, and if he is, is that the dominant feature of your life? Because whether you're single or you're married, whether you're pursuing a degree in college, whatever you're doing in your life has to be secondary to hearing the voice of God, and that needs to be the dominant feature of your life. I remember getting saved and going to my first prayer meetings and hearing Pastor Warner preach and longing whatever he's doing, I want. He is apparently talking to God and when he's quiet uh, I wonder what he's hearing uh, and I remember uh, uh, trying to develop that trying to listen trying to hear uh, and then feeling and sensing uh, the dealings of God do you remember that dynamic and that dimension well the problem is uh, that it's never being developed uh, in some of our young men's hearts uh, even though they're sitting in church uh, where the voice of God is all around them God is speaking uh, Eli doesn't even recognize it at first uh, Samuel certainly doesn't recognize it uh, but God doesn't stop. He doesn't quit. He very patiently cultivates an atmosphere in Samuel's heart where God's voice can be heard. Has God's efforts in that regard, young man, gone for naught? Because I can tell you for sure that God has made an effort to talk to you. He's made an effort to cultivate a sensitivity in your heart where you can hear the voice of God. The question is, what have you done with that? What have you done with those moments sitting in 
in church uh, where you've heard the Word of God, uh, where God has sought to deal and speak uh, and, and minister to your life? Uh, is the voice of God uh, what you live for? Is it what you live by? Uh, are you looking today, this morning, as you come to church, Oh God, uh, speak to my heart. Do you have a heart that God can move upon and that God can touch. And you know, the most amazing part of this story is that this boy Samuel has the courage to make a stand for God. I so appreciated Nigel's story about his son Jake, but I have to be honest, when he was halfway into the story, I didn't know how it was going to end up. When he said his son raised his hand and said, no, uh, I want to please my dad. I don't want to. How many know that takes courage for a young boy? So God speaks to this boy Samuel. Listen to what God says to him. Verse 11 of chapter 3. Behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. And that day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows because his sons made themselves vile and he did not restrain them. And therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Remember, this is the first time that Samuel has heard the voice of God. It comes through loud and clear. And then the Bible says in verse 15, of course, Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. And then we know that Eli is curious. He knows God is speaking to Samuel. God ain't talking to Eli, that's for sure. And so he wants to hear what God is saying to Samuel. And so the Bible says, after hearing from God, that Samuel's afraid. He's scared. He's a young boy. He's a young child. He's now trafficking in the sacred, holy and righteous and mature long-term prophets of God have buckled in such circumstances. And yet Eli commands Samuel and says to him, I want you to tell me what God spoke to you. He has to overcome his fear. He has to face it off. Make a stand for God. And then verse 18 says, Then Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. He begins to speak for God at a time when nobody else was. And these were not, Thus saith the Lord, Yea, even my heavenly Father will bless you coming in and going out, and you shall become large and great and powerful and wonderful. This word was a rebuke and a judgment against Eli, and it had to come out of the mouth of this young man whom God had spoken to to speak for God to your generation, young man, is going to take the highest level of courage. Everybody else is trending one way. You're trending toward righteousness. At some point, you're going to have to speak for God to your peers. I love the story of Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the grandson of Aaron. He's the one who, when Zimri and Cosby, right before the congregation, paraded themselves, went into a tent 
went and fornicated. Phineas is a young man and he was willing to judge the immorality and the uncleanness of his generation. And you know the story how he took the javelin and he ran them through. Samuel begins to speak for God. He begins to give voice. And so many young men today, they're teenagers, they're in their 20s. They're afraid to say anything, afraid to be a witness, and afraid to speak for God. You need to begin to hear from God, and you need to begin to speak for Him. And the question, so... Uh, uh, then today is where are today's young men? Young men are adrift. That's a given. Culturally, generationally, and sometimes even in our own congregation. I want to close by talking to pastors that are here. Because your challenge, pastor, is to cultivate the young men that God has given you. I was fascinated recently. I'm a bit of a USC fan. I grew up in Southern California. And so I, I, I like the team, and I read about them and, and uh, uh, enjoy that. I read a great story. When Clay Matthews walked onto the USC team in 2004, he was a quintessential uh, can't-make-it uh, walk-on prospect. He weighed 166 pounds. Remember, he's walking on to USC. This is the school that gets the cream of the crop all over the country. He's a walk-on. He weighed 166 pounds as a linebacker and tight end at Agora High School. You can get away with weighing that much being a linebacker in high school. He started as a senior but attracted only one major college scholarship from Idaho. As a major, as major college prospects went, he was too skinny, too weak, and too slow. But there was something in this young man, Clay Matthews. There were two factors going in his favor. One is that Idaho, with all due respect to anyone who may be from Idaho, he wasn't into Idaho. He wanted to go to USC. That's where he wanted to play football. And at 5'10", 166 pounds, he wanted to be a linebacker or a defensive end. It seemed the only thing that he had going for him was his name. His father was Clay Matthews as well. He was an All-American linebacker at USC who played for the NFL's Cleveland Browns uh, for 19 seasons. His uncle, Bruce Matthews, uh, was an All-American offensive guard at USC, elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame after a 19-year career. Uh, his grandfather, uh, also Clay Matthews, played at Georgia Tech. That was his one flaw. Played at Georgia Tech uh, in the 40s. Uh, and with the San Francisco 49ers in the 50s. The article goes on to say, but those marvelous football genes somehow seemed to be locked deep within his body when he showed up as a skinny walk-on on the USC campus in 2004. I thought it was intriguing, USC coach Pete Carroll says of Matthew's arrival. He had that big family background here, so I thought, okay, is there some magic in here somehow? While Carol, Pete Carroll had his doubts, listen to this. He never told Matthews he wouldn't be able to play. He's a 5'10", 166-pounder who wants to be a defensive lineman who weigh an average of 300 pounds. 
He never told Matthews he wouldn't be able to play. We don't talk like that, Pete Carroll says. Uh, the guys who walk on here are cherished. We look after these guys and we treat them just like everybody else uh, and we just keep rooting for them uh, because we know that there are success stories somewhere deep inside of these young men. Uh, you just don't know uh, which ones uh, they're going to be. Clay Matthews made the practice squad in his freshman year. By his sophomore year, he had made the special teams and was special teams player of the year. His junior year didn't start or play very much except on the special teams and again was named special teams player of the year. By the time he was a senior, he's 6'3", 240 pounds, and he's the starting defensive end. Not just because of his family pedigree, that has a part, but he had a coach that made room for the development of this young man that many coaches wouldn't have given a dime for, uh, wouldn't have had any hope in. Uh, but Pete Carroll said, I don't care who these young men are, they are cherished. Pastor, do you cherish your young men? Yes, I know they frustrate you. I know they rebel. But I want to tell you, there's some sex success stories deep inside. Young men can change. Can you say amen? You know, you forget what you were like. You forget the loser that you were. Oh, no, 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 I always had something. There was always... No, there was nothing about your life. You were a loser with a capital L. But you know what? You had a pastor. This is what is so amazing about Pastor Mitchell. And this is why. This is why we have the revival that we do. You know, it's been nearly 40 years since Pastor Mitchell arrived in Prescott. Do you realize that? This coming December, I think... Uh, 2009 is 40 years since he arrived. That's one generation. And when he came and these young people started getting saved, these long-haired, drug-addicted, heroin-addicted hippies, uh, no other church wanted them, uh, not even members of his own church wanted them, uh, but he cherished them. Can you say amen? And the reason that some of you have the ministries that you have uh, is not because of your great ability uh, or your great talent, uh, but you had a pastor uh, that when you were a walk-on, you had no prospects, uh, you had no future, you were a skinny, scrawny, uh, 5'10", 166-pound uh, loser in life uh, that was heading downhill, uh, but you had a pastor uh, who cherished you, uh, who stepped back uh, and said, maybe there's a miracle, maybe there's a success story here. And I think that a lot of young men don't reach their potential because they're written off too soon. Pete Carroll is a great coach, but he's a great coach for some reasons that people may not see or recognize. This young man, Clay Matthews, uh, is going into the NFL in the draft. <laughs> From a 5'10", 166-pound, 17-year-old walk-on uh, who had a dream, but having a dream is not enough. You have to have someone that will cherish you. You have to have someone that will make room for you. You may have people in your church. You've had to put them out for fornication. You've had to discipline them. I'm saying to you, don't give up on them. They are the future leaders of our fellowship. Young men can change if someone will simply believe in them and have hope and believe that God can work in their lives. This is the time. This is the season. We're living in the last days. I so appreciated Pastor Paul Campos' sermon about the 
bride in preparation for the wedding day and the spirit that we're of. We are looking for the coming of the Lord. Can you say amen? And so the time is urgent for young men to get a visitation of God. Perhaps something can happen at this altar this morning that you begin to be diligent about the things of God, that you begin to repent and get a hold of your God because you are no longer a child. You are now a man and God is counting on you for the future. Can you say amen? Let's uh, give our brother a welcome as he comes. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless. Thank you.